Hey guys, welcome to Baden Podcast, episode number 359. I'm Chris. I'm John. And I'm Paul. And we're a weekly podcast that comes to you in three ways. The first theme, The Week in Geek, bringing you the top geek stories of the past week. Next is the list of comic books that we are looking forward to coming out December 20th, 2017. Then we follow that up with our weekly rotating main topic, and this week it's time for our monthly trade policy, where we take a look at a trade paperback or graphic novel that we wanted to read or people told us to read. And this month, it's one that we've been trying to get Paul to read because John and I really enjoy this book. Uh, and this is Saga, Volume 1, from Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples. We read the first issue back in the day for a uh, look monthly look back. Yeah, and then basically every month the books came out since then, we've been like, Paul, you should, you should read this. And then you're like, oh, I read the first issue. Didn't really like it. It was too crazy. No rules. There's no rules. There's no rules. They're just do whatever. And, uh... But well, we'll get into that do yeah, whatever yeah. later on in the show. You know where there's no rules in the brewing process, brewery process <laughs> anymore. No, those Germans try to pass rules with their purity laws, but guess what? We laugh at those, and you know who else laughs at laughs at those? Other half and cloud water. They don't just use three ingredients. No, nope. they they add. Ancho peppers Ooh. to their imperial stout. Ooh, I, th- I thought we weren't drinking pepper beers, or is that just a me thing? That's just a you thing, I think. Okay. I don't drink the mango pepper beers anymore. When the pepper is the highlighted item, uh, I say no. But when it's worked in like uh, the Chocavesa from Stone, mm-hmm. that pepper is just that perfect. It's a warming sensation. Yeah, it's like, like a, a warm up the cinnamon. And there's you don't get any. You get a little of that pepper flavor, but mm-hmm. you get no pepper out of this beer. No, no spice. And this is a bad decision. Brewed by other half and cloud water. Uh, 11% alcohol by volume. I drink coffee, so if I'm uh, speaking quickly, that is why. Mm. Uh, this is really good. This is really smooth. Like John said, not much of that pepper heat, just a little bit of that profile, just a warming in this. A uh, little yeah. bit of warmth to it. But and you get the kind of the cocoa nibs. Um, really kind of chocolatey. Uh, it's like chocolate milk, like mouthfeel on yeah. afterwards too. I feel like I has had some Hershey syrup. I feel like I need to go brush my teeth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna get a cavity. It's not sweet though. It's not overly sweet. There is a sweetness to it, but it isn't as bad as um, it's a it's a it's a like a, a just chocolateiness mm-hmm. though, not a sweet chocolate, but just like a dark chocolate. Yeah, richness in the mouthfeel. Yeah. It's much better than a uh, Rogue's chocolate stout that they have. Which I didn't really like because uh, that was Hershey syrup. Yeah, really good. It's um, I think it's pretty well balanced. Uh, I think it got a little bit better when I got acclimated to it and it warmed up. Yeah. Um, when it first came out, it was cellar temperature. Now it's room temperature. I, I just uh, finished it off. We were drink. I was drinking it heavily uh, while we were doing technical issues here. But like me, you every sip when it was colder, you got a little more. Oh, this sip, I got the spice. Mm-hmm. This sip, the chocolate really came through. Once it warmed up, everything kind of fell together, comes through perfectly. It is a delicious treat. Thank you, John, for picking this up. You're welcome. Chris, what are you drinking? My first beer today, I actually bought a single Tallboy can of the Clown Shoes Brewing's Jeff versus the Fruit Machine. And this is a Belgian-style IPA brewed with passion fruit. When you, like, give it a little bit of a sniff you definitely get that tropical fruit note on it but when you're drinking it it just it just drinks kind of like a juicy ipa i don't get a lot of like a lot of that like belgian yeast out of it i don't get a lot of the tropical flavor it's just it's a juicy ipa it's not bad um i'm glad i only bought the one can of this and 
opted not to get the four pack. It's not bad. It's a nice drinkable IPA, but yeah, I don't, I don't need more than what I've had of this. I have other go-to IPAs I would rather have before this. Um, while we were having some technical difficulty talk, I had cracked open this beer when we first started getting ready to record, and then during everything, I was like, I need a drink. Uh, so I opened up a can of the beer that I bought just to drink for this uh, weekend, and that's the Bell's Best Brown Ale. And nice. That I would say yes. Like this is something that I will gladly seek out again. I haven't had one of these since I lived in Michigan like three years ago. This is a, a seasonal release from Bell's. Uh, it's just a nice toasty uh, brown ale. I like it. I think it was worth the six ninety nine for the four pack that I paid. Uh, not not necessarily worth like the three ninety nine I paid for the can of the clown shoes. But you know, clown shoes does a lot of great bigger out there beers and i think those are kind of the the go-tos for me like that's what i need to keep up on not just like the regular like oh here's an ipa with, with fruit here's an ipa that i can pass on the one question i have conscious has tall boy camps now oh i gotta find me some of them yeah Ooh, i like me the tall boy cans uh most of them seem to be like four packs too so it's not like a full six pack because the other one that I have from Clown Shoes for the next review is also a tall boy can. So, you know what? I mean, it sucks that we had technical difficulties, but I was able to drink enough of the first beer that I only had a couple sips left for when we actually started the show. My Bell's Best Brown Ale, I got like the bottom third of the can left. So I'll be totally ready for the next beer when we come to it, guys. Silver Linings. <laughs> there we go. Ah, <laughs> oh, so good to find the Silver Linings. Silver Linings. Much like we can find silver linings in this week's news. Right, guys? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think we had some of the biggest news ever to hit. We got our first look at Hawk and Dove. Yeah, yeah. that's the big news. About appearing in the, what's it, TNT, TBS, Teen Titan show? Teen Titan show, it's a CBS digital, isn't it? It's going to be the first programming for their digital channel. I thought it was going to be on like one of the networks. Like the cable networks. Originally, originally, like three, four years ago, they were going to do a TBS one and they scrapped it. Okay. I, I might still be harkening back to that. Harking. <laughs> kind of like a hawk. Mm. Not really, though. <laughs> Anyways. But uh, yeah, we got our first looks at Hawk and Dove. Last week, when we recorded, we had our first look at Dick Grayson, a.k.a. Robin. They, they look good. Uh definitely kind of in line with what we've been getting from the CW shows. Uh, it's not as leather armory. It definitely looks a little bit more plasticky. And I would have to say, think back to Batman Forever and Batman and Robin for that style. But it, it works, at least in this promo shot. Yeah, the rubberized, plasticky kind of thing. It, it looks good. I, I never really liked the Hawk and Dove costumes. Like, Hawk with his weird, like, three... Like his six feather cape thing, uh, he it looks like he actually has a full cape here, but there's that blind detail where it's a little thicker, and those six striped sections. They're even on the comic book page. Dove has like those big the goggle mask, right? Which is hard to work on the comic book page. I think they do a okay job of transferring it to live action, uh, where it looks more like Spider-Man eyes. I think. Yeah, at least they don't look as cheap as, like, just shoot, they went out and got some, uh, like, ski goggles or sunglasses, you know, and just threw them on there. 
Like sometimes they do these superhero uh, renditions, and it's like that's a paintball mask, paintball, you know, like mask or something. And those are ski goggles. Come on, don't have anybody in costuming that can actually make something cool. But it looks like they spent some time. They made something cool. It looks decent. We'll see if it actually delivers. Uh... Upon the promise. Yeah, sorry. I'm. I was looking at stuff about Titans, trying to see what network or whatever it was going to be on, but. Yeah, I'm just doing that as yeah, well. Yeah, that's what I'm doing too. And it's it's weird. I'm on IMDb and it's not giving any info. But you know, whatever. I mean, something else had to happen this week that we can talk about. Yeah, like a uh, new trailer for uh, Robert Regret's movie. Oh, that was just something. That's uh, fun. It's just fun. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> Battle Angel Alita, based off the anime, uh, directed by Robert Rodriguez, produced by John Landau and James Cameron from Avatar. I'm not familiar with this anime at all, but the movie looks kind of cool. I think we all kind of came to agreement it's something that we'll look forward to seeing on DVD or Netflix, Redbox. We'll we'll see it eventually. Yeah, it's definitely not one that I want. I'm going to kick down some doors to go um, see it in the theaters. But it definitely looks good enough that, hey, when that hits TV, I'll pull up my chair and I'll watch it. And honestly, I have more interest kind of in seeing this than I did the less anime adaptation to come out, Ghost in the Shell, because that that didn't speak to me at all. This at least has some pedigree behind it, uh, which is kind of what caught me off guard, because you sent this trailer to us in our group Facebook uh, message just to say, like, oh, hey, this was the thing that came out. And honestly, I didn't even look at it uh, until we started talking about it now, because I didn't realize it had Christoph Waltz and Jennifer Connelly in it. And you know, that's some great actors alongside Robert Rodriguez, who, John, you you had some great things to say about before we started recording. Uh, yeah, well, like, Robert Rodriguez, to me, is like John Carpenter. He just makes fun, entertaining movies. Like, they're not Oscar award-winning movies. They're just meant to be great pieces of fiction that you watch and go, gosh darn, that was a great movie. Like, say, like and even Spy Kids has some of those moments. Those aren't great movies, but they're still fun. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I've never seen Spy Kids, so I don't know. You get the... Uh, I've seen the Cody... Cody, uh, what's his name? Cody Banks? Is that Cody Banks movies? Is that Spy Kids? <laughs> Agent Cody Banks. Okay. Uh, no. It, it... With Hilary Duff. No. Uh, you get the origins of uh, Secret Agent Machete in the uh, Spy Kids movies. Yeah, he's like their uncle or something. <laughs> yeah, he is. Uh, but no, I mean, I've always been a big fan from uh, Dusk Till Dawn. Uh, I, I enjoy the... What, what do they call them? It's not like Desperado series. Uh, the Mariachi trilogy? Yeah, El Mariachi. Yeah, that's the one. I, I, I will check this out eventually. Uh, another trailer to check out would be Jurassic World, The Fallen Kingdom, which we got a trailer for that as well. As soon as I saw this, it made me sad. And when we came to our pre-show recording stuff, I was just like, this is going to be the first Jurassic Park movie to make me cry, and not because it's not good. It looks like it's actually going to be kind of gut-wrenching in spots. Hmm. Uh, idea behind this movie is they're about to like, nuke the island, and I don't remember the characters' names at all, so apologies. Yeah, his name's Chris Pratt. But Bryce, Bryce, Bryce Dallas Howard and Chris Pine, or not Chris Pine. Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. Have to go back. His name's Owen in the movie. I just remembered that. Um, have to go back to the island to 
save some of the dinosaurs before everything blows up. But why? I, I, because why? Why? Why did they need to save them? Uh, because Jeff Bridges is in a like a Jeff Goldblum, not Bridges, in a Jeff Goldblum's in a thing being like they were here before us. We created this life. We can't just let these things die. I thought Jeff Goldblum was eaten by a dinosaur. Uh, in the books, not in the movies. Oh, Malcolm lived. Malcolm lived. Malcolm lives. Yeah, Malcolm lives. Uh, and he does deliver the life finds away line. Line again? Yeah, but it works. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to this movie. I really enjoyed the first one. I can't remember the name of the director who's on it now because Colin Trevorrow is no longer associated with it. Oh gosh, I have the internet at my disposal. I don't know why I'm not using it. I I have you guys were like, oh yeah, you guys you should watch the trailer, Paul. And I'm like, nah, it's all right. Like. Dynasty, you know, it's. I saw the first the uh, Jurassic World when it hit HBO, uh, go, and I'm like, eh, it was all right. It was fun. I but I had more fun just calling out all the characters that are going to die. <laughs> like, oh, you did. <laughs> People would show up on screen, and I'm like, oh, you did. And that was fun to kind of just have fun with that that movie, uh, because it is pretty ridiculous, especially at the end. Uh, and I feel the same way about this. Like, if I happen to catch it awesome if i miss it i'm not gonna feel bad about it uh see this this is another one that i will be seeing in the theaters oh wow uh directed by j.a bayona uh spanish spanish director who most recently did the orphanage this year a monster calls too which was the big one which i did not see and then he's done a bunch of spanish language stuff which one's that i don't it's the one where the little kids like mom dies, and then he has like a make believe tree friend who like beats up the bullies and stuff. Oh, okay, yeah. And the call comes from inside the house. The call came from the tree. Oh, the call came from the tree. Hello, redwood. <laughs> no, the only tree that I like are maple trees because I tapped out. Oh. Or, or maple syrup. Uh, anything else happen? I thought you were going to talk about some Jedi trees because. <laughs> oh. Uh, Last Jedi opened this uh, this weekend. Uh, both Chris and I saw it. We'll probably have reviews for it once Paul's seen it. Yeah, and, this, uh, I, I see it on Thursday. I, well, yeah, it's just something I was I was really looking forward to talking to you guys about. And um, I'm sorry. I mean, I enjoyed talking to John about it briefly while you were out of the studio. So yeah, uh, big thing did over forty million dollars the opening day. They are saying it's going to have a two hundred twenty million dollar opening weekend which gives this movie the second highest opening weekend of all time behind Star Wars The Force Awakens. Well, guys, I've already seen it by the time this episode posts. So, you know, time machines. Time machines. Oh, let's spoil it all for them right now. <laughs> yeah, so let's talk about everything. Uh, no, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to seeing it again. I A lot happens in it, and a lot happens fast at certain points in it. So while you're reeling from some of the things that have just occurred, you have to stop thinking about it because, oh, something else is going on right now, and that's demanding my attention. Uh, so I, I, I really look forward to seeing it again and just kind of letting things play out because now I can go through it and just actively watch and not have to think too much. Not that these are, you know, thinkers or anything by that. All right, so my dad has the day off the next day, so he'd be willing to go out and get a drink afterwards. I should just schedule that in my time and just realize I should yeah, go out and get Yeah, you're gonna happen. wanna you're gonna really wanna talk to somebody. Alright. I not I'm unfortunately afterwards. I went to go see it with my wife. My wife has seen um, the original Ridge Trich? 
No. The prequel? The prequels. Oh, sorry. You don't say original when you talk no, about No, I know. I, f- I fucked up. I fucked up when I was saying to say yeah. that. Because I meant to say she hasn't seen the originals, but she's seen the prequels. At least, like, Phantom Menace. Maybe uh, Attack of the Clones. Um, but then she's seen the, the new, you know, Seven, and she saw Rogue One. She liked both of those. Yeah. Um, I tried to get her to watch Star Wars before um, the... Was the what was seven called? Force Awakens. Force Awakens. I tried to get her to watch those before it, and she just couldn't get into it. Um, but after seeing Force Awakens, she's like, "Oh, I want to! I really want to see those." And she never got around to watching them. But I got came out of the movie, and I was like, "I really wanted to talk Star Wars," mm-hmm. and uh, I also was super super tired, <laughs> so I wanted to go to bed. Um, but like sitting in bed and thinking about the movie, just like. I just kept feeling more and more um, like, man, that was really something. And it is something like, I feel like I need to go back and see it again before I make any type of um, review of well, let's, it. Let's write down this feelings now. So that way when the next movie comes out, we can go together to go see it. So me asking you three weeks before the movie opens and like, hey, uh, you want to go see Star Wars together? And we're like, like, we no, bought, already bought tickets we bought with our, my wife. We bought our tickets in October. Where were you, Paul? <laughs> I was, you wanted to see Star Wars? We didn't know. We yeah. didn't know you wanted to see it. But here's here's the thing. Like, it's Star Wars. As soon as I walked out of the theater, like three hours after I walked in, I was like, okay, when can I see this again? Like, you go see Star Wars again. That's what it boils down to. So while they had already purchased their tickets for the initial show in Paul, it's Star Wars. Yeah. You'll see it again. It's true. Hey, what you doing on Thursday? <laughs> you want to go down the Quaker Crossing at 7 o'clock? No, I don't want to drive out there. Yeah. Uh, we, we made sure that you came to the theater and saw... What was the last thing we just saw in the theater? Together? Justice League. We, I, yeah, we, Justice we League. made yep. sure Justice yep. League. We know now that we uh, Paul's a crybaby. I am a crybaby. <laughs> we need to invite him. Every time my wife and I try to do something... We well, not every time, but, you know, the movies that you know your wife won't talk to you about afterwards, maybe, maybe you know, you got a friend that would love to talk to you, you about. You guys are going out to dinner? Where are you guys going to go? <laughs> no? Mm-hmm. Okay. You're, you're done eating that dinner? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll finish off those potatoes for you. I finish all potatoes. Don't even joke about it. And someone else that's finishing all the potatoes left on the table is Disney. Uh, this is something that's been rumored and talked about for the past couple of weeks now, but they did finally go ahead and paperwork was signed, and Disney now owns 20th Century Fox. You're pending uh, governmental approval. Which, they have no reason to really deny this. It's no, Yeah, especially since Disney... The, it's, it's one of like the, the number one entertainment companies in the world buying like the number four or five i can't remember like the breakdown or because i read like an interesting article about how they were like justifying like no this won't be a monopoly because fox hasn't been doing super great recently uh they've they've been struggling i mean a lot of entertainment companies have right every winter that disney's put out there's been something else that kind of just gets like swept underneath the table uh but there's it there's nothing to stop this from actually happening especially because it's not like a full buyout uh disney will have the complete film and television library. Also, Paul, like you said, some of the regional sports channels. All local Fox Sports networks uh, will become will be part of Disney. Not their uh, not Fox Sports Network, not FS uh, One, not FS Two. So it's just the regional sports networks. You know how we in this area we have uh, MSG, 
for um, Madison Square Garden Network. Basically like that, but it's, you know, the Fox affiliate, affiliate that covers the local sports teams. So that, and then uh, also interesting that Disney is now going to be the majority shareholder of Hulu uh, because they originally owned 30% and Fox owned 30%. So now they have like a 60% yeah, 60. controlling share with NBC, Universal, like Comcast, uh, parent company, owning owning the rest of it. Which makes most people think that Comcast is going to just try to sell their 30% since they no longer have a controlling. They can't, they can't stop. Disney from doing what they want to do with that network, which might make it interesting if they, what will be left on Hulu, especially since, or will Hulu become the new Disney streaming only app that they've been talking about? And, and that's, what's really interesting because, you know, it's been announced like, I, I said, said that, that. you said, that. I said that, but they already control, uh, they, they already bought 75% stake in another streaming app that I'm forgetting the name of. I had it written down, uh, which, Streams live sports videos and also some uh, Disney stuff. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Chris. Go ahead. No, it's okay. Uh, but no, I, th- I just think that's interesting because what does that mean for for Hulu? Because I I don't have cable. I don't really watch TV. I stream everything off of Hulu, and it just so happens to be that yeah, you know what? The shows that I watch are the ABC, the Universal, and the Fox shows. I I love my Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I love my Good Place. I love my Goldbergs. Like, I'm going to have all those networks available to me. It just so happens to be that one company owns, like, two of those now. So what does that mean for NBC? Because this is a lot of questions. Because even to throw it over to, like, the theme park stuff. Yeah, Disney owns Marvel, which has caused some, like... uh, contract gray area stuff since they have the Marvel Islands of Adventure over at uh, Universal. There's a whole Simpsons land at Universal Studios. Disney now owns the Simpsons. So without knowing what that contract stated when that park was built back in like 1989. Didn't they do a refresh of that just recently too? Well, they, they did a refresh, but like Simpsons wasn't there from like the get-go. Right. So who knows what went into that park because the Springfield USA section of it opened in like the early 2000s. And I mean, it, it's it's a cool part of the park, but literally me going there is to go get a Duff beer or something from Krusty Burger and then like continue to walk around to the rest of the park to see the Harry Potter thing. Uh, but no, like this is this is Disney drinking Universal's like milkshake. Like they now own two of the properties that are in two of their biggest parks with Marvel and Simpsons. Dis- Disney owns Fox now. Fox is one of the things that they've kind of always uh, used as like a, oh my gosh, like horror movies. Fox has that universal relationship where they've been able to put characters into their Halloween horror nights. So Disney's just taking a little bit of everybody. This is a $54.6 billion acquisition. This basically is, of all the other acquisitions that Disney's made, uh, it comes up to about roughly $100 billion for everything else. When they bought ABC back in 1996, they spent $19 billion. So this is their largest acquisition that Disney's ever made. Listen, it's well worth it for Fantastic Four to get back to... But it doesn't include, because a German film production crew owns 
the rights to the Fantastic Four to produce it. Really? Yeah, Constantine Films owns production rights for it. That's the people that made that very first 1980s Fantastic, or 1992 Fantastic Four movie, and they entered in a distribution agreement with Fox. Mm. But now Disney will own the distribution rights for the Fantastic Four, but that German... Yeah, they, they now, well, they do now own all those flat out. So hopefully now we get the cool drum roll of 20th Century as Fox to let me know that I'm watching a Star Wars film. Um, they would be able to put the characters in other movies, just not their own movies? No. Oh. They don't own the rights to those characters. Constantine Films, the German company, film company, still owns the rights to those characters. Man. They just have the distribution rights for any of those movies that that company makes. But if that company decides to make a movie with the Fantastic Four, they can't distribute it. So they could make it. But if Disney says, nah, it's not up to your standards, we're not distributing it, distributing that movie, that movie would just sit and just it would be a loss, so they would have to work together. Well, also at that point, too, Disney might just be able to say, like, hey, you know, we're going to offer you this much money for this movie, or for the property. Yeah, they just spent 54... You, you should probably sell it to us, because otherwise your movie is not going to be seen by anybody. They just spent $54 billion, which basically... I think they're... Like, how much more in their war chest do they have, Chris? Like... A lot? Do they? Uh, they they probably have a lot. Do they though? Uh, they were close to bankruptcy back in the early '80s. Yeah, well, that was in the early '80s, and everything was in danger of shutting down. And yeah, they were they had to face a bad like buyout. But at that time, like it was basically vultures were circling the carcass of the company, and they were getting ready to start selling off the different divisions. But then Michael Eisner came in, and they did have that renaissance. Like he gets a lot of crap for being like the black sheep. Uh, CEO of the company, but he he really turned around. Like he focused more on the like the VHS distribution. Everyone had those white Disney like VHS cassette tapes growing up. They uh, they had the Disney Renaissance. They focused a lot more on the parks and resorts. That's how we wound up finally getting uh, at the time Disney MGM Studios, and that was all just to fight the fact that Universal was going to be opening a studio park in Florida too. So Eisner was like. Oh, let's let's do one first. Let's beat him to the punch. All right, Chris, I'm just looking up uh, money here uh, from the Motley Fool. This is from 2014. They had a stockpile of $95.6 billion in their arsenal, uh, cash on hand. That's the latest number that I see. I know in quarter, quarterly reports, they would have to announce it to shareholders. Are you a shareholder, Chris? I am not. I should buy that for you for Christmas. Just one freaking share. <laughs> I... Just, I've always considered it, but I don't. I don't need that. You, you can actually go to their website because it is public information. You can look up there, and I have done that before on different companies because I think it's fun to go through their, you know, quarterly review use. But that's back in nineteen ninety five. Let's say it grew fifty percent, so that's one hundred and thirty five thousand thirty five hundred and thirty million or billion dollars. They're spending sixty forty percent of that. On this acquisition, include the two other acquisitions of eight million, eight billion dollars. So this is half their money. 
they're spending half their money on this acquisition. And so I have to believe this is going to be the last big acquisition, not only because, like I said three times, this is like half their total assets, half their money, but also Bob Iger, the current CEO, right, of uh, Disney, he's the one that's been doing all these acquisitions. And each time he's like announced, like, oh, I'm going to be stepping down soon, I'm going to retire, and then he does an acquisition. And then he's like, well, I got to stay on until we get this all settled. And it's such a big acquisition like this, it's kind of almost a merger, it's going to take two to three years to shake out. At which point I think Bob Iger is either going to give himself a heart attack and die, or his wife will get so fed up that she's just going to quit for him. And he'll step down and we'll have somebody, maybe even from Fox Studios, become the new CEO. Of, uh, well, that's that's the thing. Like, this is the third time that he's announced he's retiring, and then it's got extended out to Disney acquiring something else. Um, just recently, he said he was retiring again. Like after uh, Galaxy's Edge opens at the parks, twenty nineteen, he was done. Uh, he's recently stated that now he will stay on through the the switchover with the Fox purchase uh, to see that through. And again, I think this is all something for like the stockholders, but then also it really does set it up where whoever comes in after him can then be saddled with if things don't work. Because um, at this point, like, well, he bought the company, like, you you mishandled it. Like, now we're not uh, providing wins to the shareholders because you're not doing well with it. Um, rumors are now that, like, it could be someone from Fox stepping up to take over that CEO role once he does retire and step down. But there's also been rumors from the Disney side of things where they will promote someone who's uh, already at the company for this. I can't remember his name right now. It's not Bob Chapek. Uh, who is it? It doesn't matter. All I know is Bob Iger came from ABC, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, he came from ABC. Also, when Michael Eisner stepped into the CEO role. He had worked for Paramount before, but then he was also part of ABC as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, Bob Chapek was the uh, new rumored candidate. And he's someone that's been with the company for a while and that's headed up many of the divisions, which is something that Disney tends to like, where you can see how each division of the company operates before they put you in charge of all of them. And that's probably the guy to go with. You don't want somebody from Fox because they can't get shit done and do it right and interfere. You need a company that's not somebody who's not going to interfere with the company that knows how all the heads work and then can take it all, take it all over. Right. But Disney and Fox have worked before together with the avatar land. So maybe there's people that Disney's feel felt okay with, and maybe they'll lead into an executive role right away and they can feel them out. You know, um, yeah, we, want that, we want that guy that really led uh, Fox down so we could buy him to take over. Uh, I think it's more Rupert Murdoch looking at like what he's leaving behind. He's like, I, I'm, you know what? Before I cash out on life, I'm going to cash out my assets, liquidate, and then you know be able to set up trust funds because it's a lot easier to protect money assets than it is to protect corporate invested assets. Mm. Because when a person, when the like, face of a company dies, 
the stock prices and everything really take over. You got venture capitalists, you got the vultures coming in. Go back and look at what happened to Walt Disney when Walt died. Like, if Rupert Murdoch, I think, is 89. So it's a lot easier to take control now while that... And Lucas even said the same thing. He's like, I'd rather leave my kids hard cash than assets tied up with uh, IP or studio. Because it's a lot easier to leave that kind of stuff behind and also protect it from taxes and all the other crazy stuff than it is to leave intellectual property and corporate assets because those are so tied into a personality as you know, they can be so tied into that person that the value depreciates right away uh, when, when you die. Uh, man, I love economics guys. Let's yeah. Let's talk about this more. And so something I love though is beer. Maybe not this one, but I, I tend to like beer in general. Well, what don't you like about it, Chris? Carl? My next beer is all... Carl? Uh, my next beer is also from Clown Shoes, and this is their Reindeer Games, a Bavarian-style IPA. Um, this just has that hot profile that I don't tend to gravitate towards. It's... I feel like I need to look it up, because it's almost like that grassy, like, mouth-drying hop. I really want to see what it is. Um, mm. Ooh. Not Centennial. Not Chinhook either. Or maybe it is Chinhook. Mohawk? Ooh, maybe it's a Mohawk. I don't know. Um, you guys... Not Centennial. List off some more stuff in, in the time that I'm actually typing this in. <laughs> <laughs> Not... Ooh, it's Century. Century hops. Those are the ones you don't like. Experimental hop number 324. No, I don't think that one either. Yeah, and uh, what, what, what beer are you drinking? See, you should just drink beers without any hops like we are. These beers have hops in them. We are drinking from Lagunitas 2017 One Hitter Series. We are drinking their Willetized Coffee Stout. This is a coffee stout aged in Willet Rye Oak Barrels. Uh, this is coming in at 12.6%. Um, Paul and I, I don't believe we had it for the show, but we both really enjoyed Westified. The High Westified West Bourbon Aged Coffee Stout. This is the same coffee stout, but aged in three, six, and nine-month-old rye barrels, then blended together to create this beer. And this is a sipper. This is flavorful. This is another great Barrel-aged stout coming from Lagunitas, six-pack for twelve ninety-nine. Yeah, this is a great deal. They, they say it's a one-hitter series, but come on, guys. These are home runs. Uh, this is... It's smooth, but it has that... You know you're drinking a big boy. But just because that heat on the... on, It's not quite heat, but it gives you it, that alcohol. It, that, there's a bit of alcohol there that you definitely probably get from the rye barrel that just tells you the, hey, I'm going to stay a while on your tongue, mm -hmm. so let's wait and take a sip but a as you're, later. As you're sipping, you could just keep on drinking and drinking and drinking. Oh, it's yeah. that aftertaste. It's, it's yeah, not, yeah. You, I don't get quite the dragon dragon breath, you know, what I call like that high alcohol aftertaste, but it is there. It's a little warming. It's baby dragon. It's a, it's it's a whelp. It's, it's baby a, dragon. It's baby dragon breath. It's a whelp. 
Um, but it's delicious, and it's it's got that coffee note. It's got that deep, rich, like imperial stoutness to it. Uh, it's just man, these are good. These uh, are good and well balanced. You don't need to age; just just drink it now. No, uh, I in the um the high the high westified one too. Um, as I drink more of it, I'm I'm sitting down <laughs> and relaxing even more on this. Uh, what 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 do we call these things? The podcast <laughs> chairs. No, the uh, chairs. The sofa. Not a no. It's not a chair. It's a. Uh, he's on a, a he's on a futon. I'm on a futon. I'm now leaning back. I'm all relaxed. I'm almost halfway through my pint of this. Like the initial hop flavors kind of dissipate as I've just grown accustomed to it. It's still really grassy. I don't want to say dank because it just doesn't have that like heaviness to it. I don't know what I really want to put this bad, uh, beer at, but yeah, I probably won't be buying any of the uh Juice IPAs anytime soon, just based off of how I felt about this one and then the uh the previous the Jeff Bruce versus the fruit machine. N- none of them have, have really have really wowed me today. Well Bavarian style IPA does not like that's not something I would see and go, ooh like I would be interested by it, but I wouldn't like it it doesn't like excite me. Mm-hmm. But the Belgians. Uh, okay, well, spoiler spoilers for my next couple beers. Uh, I don't know how many we're going to wind up doing today, but everything else I picked up was more winter or Christmas related. So I grabbed this, being like, "Oh, reindeer games that fits in with the theme." Ooh. And then I picked up another clown shoes because I was like, "Oh, hey, it's another clown shoes IPA. I can have these back to back too." And then the theme just kind of disappeared because I was like, "Just buy beer to buy beer." Oh, remember that Flirty Lee from Ithaca? That that Belgian style IPA. And how good that was. That was really good. Well, even, I mean, there's there's good Belgian IPAs from different people, too. Sometimes you just don't, it doesn't hit your palate the way right. you expect. Or you you see that name, you see that it's a Belgian IPA or a Bavarian. And then that puts an idea in your head what it should taste like. And then when it doesn't match oh, that right. description, then it's, it's also off. And sometimes it's just not good. So I I thought about drain pouring this, but then I took another sip. I was like, it's not bad. It's just not what I look for in an IPA. Mm-hmm. I tend to always gravitate more towards like that citrus hop, uh, like a more floral character to it. This it's not bad, but f- finishing the rest of this can uh, might take me longer than I want. So we'll see where we wind up after uh, our next segment. If I just dump this and get something else, or if I wind up having it finished by then. Chris, to be honest, I'm tapping out after this beer because otherwise I'm taking a nap on uh, this futon here before I yeah. Get home. We split the 10% tall boy, 11%, 11% tall boy stout from other half, and then we were drinking our own bottles because I bought Paul a six pack and myself a six pack of the Willow Ties. So we drink John back for it though. Uh, we're both drinking our own sick bottle out of our mm. six packs for it. So it's, um, yeah, that 12% is like, I, I feel it. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling it. And we drink. Okay. Well, we, we can, we can take, you know, take some time. We got a couple things to get through. And... Yeah. yeah. But, but the other thing is too, is, nice is sometimes you have two beers and we have three. Well, yeah, you can so have yeah, you can, you can I'm do sorry, what you man. want. It's your life. You're a big boy. Yeah, I'm. I'm not gonna stop because you tell me to. I'm fine right now, but I wasn't telling you to. I don't know if I want to finish it or not. I'm just hoping that the delivery man goes ding dong, Merry Christmas, here you go, bud. We'll see you uh, during this show because that would be fun. It would be Christmas. It would be Christmas for everyone but me because <laughs> I know you, I forgot your present. You didn't bring my present for me. I forgot. I brought you cash. <laughs> but here's something I won't forget. 
And that's picking up the book I'm buying on December 20th, 2017. Ooh. And what book is that? That is Hellboy Krampusnatch, number one. And this is... Krampusnatch? Yes. <laughs> wow. Uh, this is written by um, Mike Manola, art by Adam Hughes. And this is Hellboy being pitted against a satanic spin on Santa and the team-up uh, of Krampus. Mm. Wait, wait. So Krampus and Hellboy team up against a demonic Santa? I think he's trying to help Santa against Krampus. And Adam Scott shows up as well? Yes. Cool. Adam Hughes art. Oh, Adam Hughes. Okay, Adam Scott starred in the movie Krampus. Yes. It was okay. I, uh, I actually didn't finish it, and I've never been like, oh, I should finish it. Hmm. I enjoyed uh, Adam Scott in the one horror comedy movie. Oh, it's like take off of the Omen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was good. Have you watched? Have either of you guys watched that? He, it's him in the the. Um, oh, Ghosted. Yeah, the the one where it's like a with a uh, Craig. Yeah. It it seems like a great concept, but I I just don't understand if it's good. Kid and I watched a, it talking about people that start in the office, because <laughs> Craig Robinson. Uh, watched a pretty bad Netflix original Christmas movie, A Christmas Inheritance, starring Plop from The Office. I don't know who that is. Plop. You know, Plop. The big heavy guy? No. Mm -hmm. I uh, like Yeah. But Plop. I, mean, was, I, I was looking at him, and now he's older and a little heavier, and I'm like, I don't he still looks so familiar. Who is this guy? Who is this guy? And I look him up on IMDb, and I'm like, oh, of course he is. Like, mm. how did I not recognize this guy? Because he does, because he does those overly exaggerated facial expressions, and I'm like, I recognize this guy so hard, but couldn't, couldn't figure it out. But Chris, what are you looking forward to? <laughs> I've been drinking, <laughs> and I had coffee. This is horrible. Uh, um, it's just kind of a regular week for me. There's nothing too crazy coming out that I'm picking up besides like the regular uh, monthly stuff that I have. So I'm looking forward to reading any or all of the trade paperbacks that I bought during Comixology's Star Wars sale. Uh, up until, by the way, we're not sponsored by Comixology at all. Up until January 2nd, though, they're having deep discounts on all their Star Wars trade paperbacks. And this is like the current stuff coming out for Marvel back through to the more recent Dark Horse stuff, even further back through their legacy offerings uh, at like 70 to 90% off. So I bought 16 Star Wars trade paperbacks from the Marvel side of things for $44 and some odd change. Uh, basically, all of the current Marvel Star Wars books I now own for $40. I, I think that's awesome. This is something I've been waiting for since last year because I've been wanting to not catch up, but just see what I've been missing on the Marvel Star Wars books. So, yeah, when I saw this sale was starting in lieu of Last Jedi coming out, I was like, yep, all right, here here I go. So Merry Christmas to me and, and happy 
monthly trading policies to come. Because there's there's some stuff I'm looking forward to just reading to read, but then also some stuff that I know I think we might wind up talking about. Hey, maybe we can finally read that trade that we were actually told to read, and then I bought the very first trade. And the guy's like, yeah, don't read the first stuff. <laughs> Not unless you're going back to buy it. Nope. Well, if Chris might have bought it. Oh, you didn't buy it? Nope. Yeah, I didn't buy that one. Oh, it's Marvel. Nope, I, I bought the Marvel stuff. Rick, he listed everything that he bought to it. Oh, you might not. <laughs> I wasn't in the room. He might have just, yeah. <laughs> I was... Oh yeah, yeah. I was. That might have just been me talking about what I bought because you needed to hear me speak so you could see where the problem recording was. Yep. But yeah, uh, Paul, what are you looking forward to picking up and reading if it's not that Star Wars book? Oh well, obviously it's the uh, Marvel Two and One that I was excited to buy last week. Uh, I'm excited to buy it again because it hadn't come out last week. Uh, so it's Human Torch and the Thing teaming up, trying to figure out, hey, where's the Invisible Woman? And Mr. Fantastic. I mean, why be like, Paul, didn't you read that book like five years ago? Yes. Yes, I did. Back uh, when, after they started, and then they had Black Panther and Storm take over for that role for a little while. You guys remember that. Yeah. And then finally, Jonathan Hickman came in and like cleaned up the act of the Fantastic Four. And that's when it got good again. That's when it got good again. <laughs> and it did. And it did. It actually really did, unlike X Factor. I'm hoping that when they, now that. <laughs> They own Fox, uh, even though they don't own the rights to the characters in movies. Marvel will actually let the Fantastic Four come and hang out and be a thing again in the comic books because I think it was stupid that they were punishing me for not having the Fantastic Four around. I don't, I don't get it. Make it, make me a happy Christmas boy and give me my Fantastic Four back, Marvel. Happy Christmas boy. I'm writing that one down. Make me a happy Christmas boy. <laughs> Just keep on making John. Yeah, just keep making John write things down. And now, a dramatic reading from Saga, number four, page six, panel five. Ah, fuck! That was a dramatic reading from Saga, number four, page six, panel five. Paul, you finally read something from Saga. Yeah, I read the first issue. Uh, and... And before we get into our main topic, which is our monthly trade and policy review of Saga Volume 1, I have one more beer to talk about. And this is also from Bell's Brewing out of Comstock, Michigan. And this is their Christmas ale. Bell's Christmas ale is actually a scotch ale. Ooh, I like scotch ales. When I saw Christmas ale, I always just intrinsically go towards what we get from the Great Lakes Christmas ale or the Southern Tier, like Xmas or like 2Xmas. Um, that just like holiday spice like that dark kind of like pitted fruit taste uh this doesn't have that because this is a scotch ale that tastes like a scotch ale there's nothing wrong with it but when you have a christmas tree on your label and it says christmas ale scotch ale i'm like okay sign me up i'm on board all this sounds great i expect like almost like a fruitcake kind of beer when it's a scotch ale I, I want that sweetness from the scotch, but then just, like, that pop of fruit. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have any of that. It just says, like, even on their label, it's like, oh, notes of caramel, a warm finish. Yeah, it does have that. Because that's what a scotch ale has. Mm -hmm. but, and exactly, it's that's a scotch ale. If given the choice between this and then something like um, Founders, oh my god, what's, uh, Dirty Bastard. Dirty Bastard, a much more well-rounded scotch ale. 
this isn't bad. Like, this is still a good scotch ale, but to say it's a Christmas ale, like, I, I don't get any Christmas from it. And that's sad, because I I went into the beer store today thinking, like, hey, I'm going to buy Christmas beers. That's going to be my theme. Well, that Neptune Bells also has their, their winter white, which is a white ale for the winter season. Hmm. I, I've had that before, though, and that wasn't anything... Yeah, it's just a, it's just a white owl. It, it was almost like the Saranac white, where, yeah, it was really good, but it was good because it was just a good white ale. It wasn't a solid Christmas beer. Long Trail has their hibernator out. They haven't done it in a couple of years. They just put it out, and that's just a Scotch ale. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't say Christmas on it. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to do a Scotch ale, like, it should have that Piggy, plummy, spice to the Scotch L when you put Christmas on it. Yeah, okay. and and that's I think that's where Chris has been saying like it just doesn't it just doesn't fit with Christmas. It it needs that pit fruit. It needs something there. It's like a nice dark fruit to it. Uh, but it's also funny because when I went to my beer store this morning to pick up stuff, they had a whole end cap of. I don't remember the brewery that makes it now, but like your Bad Elf. Oh, uh, Trogs. Is that Trogs? Mad Elf? Yeah. No, he said Bad Elf. Oh, Mad Elf, so not Trogs. Mad Elf is... Yeah, no, like the Bad Elf, the Very Bad Elf, the Santa's Butt. Those are, those, that's an uh, English brewery. Okay. Oh, those okay. are English. I, I can't remember who does it, but they had a whole end cap of those, and I was like, hey, these are all great solid beers but I passed up on them just to get like other things. Mm-hmm. I'll probably go back at the end of this week to get those for the next episode, because that will be like the week of Christmas. Yeah. That's, um, uh, Ridgeway brewing. Ridgeway. I, I swear. Uh, bad elf, very bad elf and criminally bad elf, which is a barley wine. Ooh. Oh, and they have a, they have an insanely bad elf, which is a red ale and a seriously bad elf, which is a Belgian triple. Santa's butt. I'll probably skip the Belgian triple. Ooh. Uh, they had like another one. It was like Lump of Coal. Because that's a lot of beer to buy. <laughs> well, I don't. half of these we can't even get up here anymore. But something we can get up here, and something that I've been buying since we read for a monthly look back, is Saga by Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples. And uh, to introduce this book, uh, I'm going to speak a little bit from the heart and from having read the entire series of this book today because it's not over not over okay still going saga is a book about family it's about a husband and wife who then become a father and mother and the story is told from their daughter Uh, her point of view remembering and telling the story of uh, probably what's been told to her and how she remembers and the family that comes in and out of Marco, Alana, and Hazel's life. And that is what this book is centered on, is this family. And there's times where they're separated and they're fighting to get back together. Mm-hmm. But it is these three people in, in the cast of people around them who some of them you don't expect to kind of join this family or are, are really surprised when they leave the family. But it is a book about family. And it just so happens to take place in outer space with alien creatures and princes that have robot uh, television uh, heads, (laughs) robots and TV people and uh, little casting 
cats that can tell if you're lying. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, dogs that shoot. Uh, are you having on the, the dogs that shoot uh, tranquilizer darts out of their noses? Like it gets it gets really crazy and 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 out there. But the thing that always draws me back in is this is a story about family. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the hook for this book. It's like, yeah, you're telling the story that takes place in this crazy alien universe where you have two factions of warring planets that are basically encircling each other. And then just all the crazy shit that's happening around them. But it's still a very human story at the core of it. Yeah. Brian K. Vaughn, like that's his, that's his, uh, modus operandi, right? Like that's what he's kind of known for. And when I work, read the first issue of this, that's what threw me off. Because Brian K. Vaughn, like, he did uh, The Oath, which is Doctor Strange, you know, an out there kind of character. But he brings him back to the real world by being like, oh, no, he's trying to solve, he's trying to cure uh, what's his name? Wong Cancer. Uh, he did an arc on Wolverine. Where it's Wolverine, he's an out there kind of character. He's a comic book character, and then they ground him by having him sh- like wake up in a pit in Nagasaki, Japan, right before the bomb drops. So he he gr- even if you go to his like big seminal series, Why the Last Man? Yeah, it's a it's a story about the last man alive and his maneuvering around this world to try to find his like his girlfriend. Not even his fiance, his girlfriend. When a play came and ended, everything with a Y chromosome. It's just it's a dude looking for a girl at the at the base. So he's. I've always taken Brian K. Vaughn as a guy that is either takes really comic booky characters and places them in a real world situation, or takes real world characters and places them in comic booky situations. Why last man? Real character, real guy. Comic book situation. Uh, Wolverine and Doctor Strange, real world situation. Here, Pri- uh, Pride of Baghdad, real world situation, comic bookie. Comic bookie. Comic bookie lion. You know. Yeah, exactly. So that's where I've always, like, okay, that's the lynch. That's the that's my hook into Brian K. Vaughn. Here, it's very comic bookie characters thrown into a very comic bookie world. And that threw me off when I read that first issue. Because I'm like, there's no there's no rules. There's no hook. I'm, it's, they're just, he's throwing all this stuff at me. Everything's really crazy and out there. I, I'm, I'm trying to hold on, and I quit reading the first volume. <laughs> there's enough there that you get a hook. I finally, I'm like, by the second, by the end of the second issue, I'm like, oh, there, I'm like, you know, those rock climbing walls. I was stuck on that first issue. I'm like, I can't move up. There's no good hold for the next one. We, we told you that the whole year for years. For years. But I didn't have, you know, I had no reason other than you telling me, oh, you should just read it. Just read it. And I was like, nope, I can't see it. Can't see the next hold, guys. Paul, it's right there. Just reach up. Paul, I always came to you as saying, this is a Brian K. Vaughn book. It's very human at its core. It's a story of a family that just has to get through the shit of, like, everything happening around them to be a family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, You guys were spotting me. You, you guys were down you on the have, ground. You have years of me saying, oh, this is my pick because it's one of the greatest things I've ever read. Yeah, exactly. You guys were on the ground. You've climbed that wall before. But I'm up against the wall. I can't see that next handhold. And you guys are telling me, oh, don't worry about it. 
Just take your so hand. So at this point, take your hand off the this, wall with this and a, put it up. With this analogy, six, we finally six, grabbed six, the rope and just like, tugged me. Tug, tugged like, you tug. up so you got up to the next I'm handhold. Like, oh, there it is. And I grabbed it. And I'm like, okay, now. Yeah, I get it. Isabel's the bomb. I love Isabel. I am going to be very upset when she leaves because they already foreshadowed that. Yeah, they, and that's the thing, like, going back through it, because I've read this series since it came out. Uh, I was so excited for this. Like, go back a few years ago to, like, number one being my pull for, for the list. Like, I don't even remember, like, when it happened. But I was so looking forward to this book. And so much of what they do seems to be plotted and planned out that, yeah, like, Isabel, spoilers, Paul, mm -hmm. just went away, like, within the past year, John. Oh, okay. Dude. So there's plenty of Isabel story left to go. Oh, there's, there's a lot of Isabel. Oh, yeah, there's there's a lot. But, like, you're, you're seeing this all, as you say, like, it's as a flashback. This is Hazel telling the story of her upbringing. And a lot of shit happens. And Isabel's one of those characters that I like from the get-go. And then... It's tough from Avatar The Last Airbender. Yeah, she is. She tells it as it is. Mm -hmm. She's a precocious teenager that doesn't put up with any shit. But she also <laughs> knows her stuff and gets things done. And I love that. I love who's, that archetype. Who's a, a ghost that is connected to Mabel? Mabel. Hazel. You were going, uh, you were going Paul Reiser on that. You were going Mabel from Mad About You, right? I went Mabel from Gravity Falls. But she's connected to her. She's legless, a legless ghost uh, mm -hmm. called a horror on her planet um, that is connected to and is now like a babysitter mm -hmm. for, yeah. for Hazel. Hazel even rec- Yeah, she's basically imprinted on mm -hmm. onto Hazel. Hazel even says in the caption, rich kids have nannies every other kid has babysitters isabel was my first and i'm like oh we're gonna lose isabel and i forgot about this because i haven't gone back and reread like this in a while but yeah like she she's the first and right from that moment they telegraph like no she's not going to be around forever and in the issue where she does finally disappear i think i read that on a plane either to or from buffalo like this past year because i had like a few issues pile up and in that issue like it's you can tell it's coming, but it still sucks. Yeah. But that's what Brian K. Vaughn, he does a great job of making you care about characters that you know are going to have to disappear at some point. And and that's what this, this series is fantastic about. So let's stop talking so much more about the grandiose series and more about this volume one, which is... It, it's so hard to do that, and I don't mean to cut you off, but everything about Volume 1 is so broad because you're hearing the story of a character who grew up during this. So she's not active at all. Like You're hearing her tell the story that was told to her. And she, and, and she's in these later issues now, I mean, she's, what, like a, a five or six-year-old? Well, I'm assuming there's a time jump after the first volume because they're up on the spaceship. No. No. And, no. like, no. Nope. Nope. It goes right into... Okay, she's still a baby. Yeah, she's still a baby. Volume 2. And, and that's the thing. Because I remember there's... Like, she's... Go ahead. Like, she's... I'm sorry. That's where it gets hard, because I'm terrible with kids and how old they are. Like, because later on in the series, like, even up to current, because I, I, I've i maybe passed, like, the first... Or, I'm sorry, the last three or four issues. I haven't caught up completely. But she's definitely, like, a little kid. Mm -hmm. She still doesn't know, like, everything that's going on around. Mm -hmm. But parents, this is why when you see Chris and the Simpsons part of uh, Orlando Studios, you do not let... Because he'll just be like, oh, you're old enough, right? You want a sip of this beer? Like, you know, he's just... Okay. He just doesn't okay. With kids, you're either... You're a baby, you're seven, 
or you're 12. After 12, you just become an adult. (laughs) So you are giving them. And and you're like, uh, you're 12 or you're 18. I don't know how old you are, but I'm going to assume you're 12. What? If I see you with a cigarette, you're probably 18. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we got both kinds. Regular or menthol. You're in the foot clamp. That's still the baddest assist kid ever. I'm an adult, and I still can't even aspire to be that, like, <laughs> badass. Like, Thank you, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie from, like, 1988. Skate park slash arcade slash kids just hanging out with microwaves. Spin that wheel! <laughs> That's a perfect movie. I want to watch it tonight. <laughs> no, I think that was done with 20th Century Fox. <laughs> Uh, does Disney own that now? Yeah. Well, because they they were bought off. I think Universal owns them now. I know the costumes were was done by Lucasfilm. Yeah, Henson did that. They were bought off by by no Jim Henson. Nickelodeon, I Jim Henson did the costumes. Feel so yeah, that would be like a Comcast thing. Your 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 book, John. Oh, Sorry, I just finished. <laughs> it's the- gonna be the great. It's gonna be the greatest game show ever. Does Disney own it? Yes or no. I just, just I just yes. took the last sip of my uh, my coffee stuff here, and it just it stopped. I was gonna say something, and I was like, "No, I'm just gonna enjoy that last sip." So, so here we start off with the birth, and it's like six days, not even, of her first life, and that's the first trade. I don't know how many issues. I think it is. I think that the first volume is like three days of her life. Yeah, I know they mention like how little sleep the two parents have gotten. And it's basically because the the parents Marco. are the parents are on the run. Marco is an escaped prisoner. He's a boony. His wife helped him escape. And was they, her captor? Was yeah, her yeah. prison guard? She was a prison guard. They left together. They fell in love. They left together. And obviously, for nine months, they've been on the run. They're having a baby. And the fact that she is pregnant is something that both sides of these warring factions know. And they both want Marco and Alana dead. And they want one side wants the baby. One side wants the baby dead. And they've also um, Alana's side, which are the uh, uh, landfall. Landfall, which are more technology-based mm-hmm. aliens. Plus wings. Which have wings. And then Marco is the Wraith, which are they're horned and they have magic-based powers. The Wraith, they want the baby straight dead. Mm. And uh, they're hiring different uh, assassins. The Stock, the Will. Called Freelancers, which I just think is Freelancers. Awesome name for a, like a bounty hunter. Well, because in this war... Those alien generals, princes, they're not even part of the war. They're hired out by to just oversee the war, right? Like, am I not reading that correctly? Like the, the, the robot prince bar- and the yes, robot barons? they are. They're hired to fight yeah. for the, the wraith, or the, uh, the landfall. The landfall. So they're not even part of the war. And then there's the freelancers that both sides are hiring. And they're not even having the war on their own planets. They're having the war on other planets. And then the, uh, so the landfall, they've sent Prince... So people, if you're confused by this, that's how I felt during for the first issue. But the, see, the thing so is, like, it's hard to grab on, right? Like, it's hard to, like, find your minute. Gotta keep reading. But, that, but that's the thing, like, it, it's all stuff that's happening around you because it's all stuff that's happening around Marco and Alana as, like, they're giving birth to their child, like they shouldn't be together from the rules of their culture. Like, after, like, Marco being in prison for 12 hours, him and Alana, like, fall in love, like, discussing a book. Like, 
this and this is all stuff later, like because they actually meet the dude that wrote that book. But like everything you're seeing in this volume, and it's great. It's it's so interesting when you when you've read you're up to date on the series, and then you go back and you read this beginning, and you're like, man, this guy had a plan from the start. Yeah, like it. And even though you're you would think. How would this guy know? Blah 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 blah. And then all of a sudden, it happens. You're like, man, this guy is a genius when it comes to writing and a story that is so complicated, but comes across so easy. Well, I think Brian K. Vaughan's even said it in like interviews and stuff. He comes up with the through line of the story, and then he allows himself to like look at like little bullet points of that through line and be like, oh, I want to explore this a little bit and then i want to explore that a little bit so it so a very he says that his stories are very simple because it, there's a main story but then he allows himself to get more and more complicated because he lets you know he explores each branch and then it becomes so he's giving himself like way too much credit as quote-unquote simple because later on in the series you have stories of journalists that are following the story of hazel and marco and alana and you have standalone issues devoted just to these two journalists who happen to be in love but then their love's not smiled upon in the the greater scope of things Frank K. Vaughn's great he's a fantastic storyteller and even like with the will the will has people who are family to him who then rally together to save the will and then once the will is saved he like shuns that family and then he goes on his own adventure and it because he doesn't have that family with him, it's not working out the way he wants. And then it's he comes to people who have been folded into the Marco and that family, and they won't they won't bend to his will. Mm-hmm. And it's just um, it's just the entire series is just this great story. And I um, I got to a point where I stopped reading it as the books were coming out, but waiting to have a group of them to then sit and read. So I'm buying mm-hmm. single issues, not the trades, because I want to choose when I want to read these in a lump mm-hmm. sum. And every time I get to the end of that lump sum and I'm all caught up, I'm mad that I don't have any more to read. Right. And that's how I felt when I was finishing an issue, because those issues, almost every issue felt like it was ending on a cliffhanger. And then I had to say, man, I have to wait another month. And sometimes I have to wait another six months because he takes hiatuses mm-hmm. to write and allow Fiona Staple to do other things or not work as frantically as she has. And I have to say, too, something about Fiona Staple's art, I think is great for the book. But with doing this book, the more the longer she does it, the better her artwork becomes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She does some really good creepy characters. The stalk was great. This looks fantastic. I can't imagine what the scripts even look like. It has to just be Brian K. Vaughn writing like, and then aliens show up, and then she just writes like, okay, well, these aliens are on the planet Sextillion, which is like a pleasure planet. They're just gonna be giant faces with legs. Okay. Uh, yeah, that was creepy as all hell. But but that's the story, and like, to kind of circle back to what we were saying at the very beginning, it's crazy out there ideas that at their core are just very like, oh no, like, it's the bounty hunter landing on a planet story continues from here and just yeah it's exaggerated and like fucking nuts at points but you kind of have to not cut through that but you just have to look at it as like 
Okay, no, the core of the story is this kid should not exist. This bounty hunter is after her. This bounty hunter, he's portrayed as like this ultimate like badass. He still has a heart though. Like he saves. He's hung up on a girl. He, he's hung up on a girl. <laughs> he saves this kid who's basically been sold into slavery. And you get a character arc for her too, though, over like the next two or three volumes. Right. Uh, the little girl. And man, Brian K. Vaughn, he, he, he has a viewpoint on it. But man, does he show the like the other side, the counterpoint? I know you're like because he's like, hey, this like six year old girl was sold into prostitution, but everybody knows that if she wasn't here, she'd be dead because it's war zone out there. Like we were the only people that were ever going to take her in. So yeah, her existence sucks, but it's an existence. And he like, I do not like that line of reasoning. I do not like that word. But it's. It's part of the real world. It's part of the science fiction world. I like going to science fiction worlds to escape that real world. So that could be a turnoff for some people. It's a little bit of a, you know, a, 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 it could be a jumping off point for me. But Marco, the relationship between Marco, Alana, Hazel, and Isabel, you know, that's what's going to be the driving force here. The Will's storyline is interesting to me. I'm talking because I haven't seen the rest of it. Right. I like when we get... The fat will. Uh, we get to the will. And he's interesting to me because he they kind of like write him here as that bounty hunter with a heart of gold. But then Hazel's like, no, he's the worst mf ever. Like, he's he's one of the worst my family comes up against. I'm like, man, I kind of wanted to root for him. But knowing that... And you don't really see the worst of the will till... Just now, it's really starting as being yeah. the bad stuff because he's in a coma. Okay, way to ruin Christmas, Jan. Are you? Are you going? I was going to read the. Yeah, I want well, to read the. Rest trust of me, them. trust me. Saying that he's in a coma means nothing to what is going to happen and what is happening around him. Like I said, he has a family that bonds together around him, and then you follow their adventure as well, and. I'm not telling you who that's made up of, because it'll freak you out. Uh, and this book ends with... Uh, I guess in a bunch of talking cats. <laughs> no. Um, and book, spider children. Because, this, because the stock is Charlotte from Charlotte's Web, and there's a pig. And he's fabulous. No, the stock's fucking dead. <laughs> Talk's fucking creepy. She's dead. Yeah, that's her family. Um, but the book ends with... Marco's parents showing up on the spaceship. Mm -hmm. And now you have this weird angle that's going to be going on and what's going to happen with them and where they're going to go and where their loyalties fall. Are they going to fall with the Wraith and what their, what their uh, mm -hmm. government and planet want? Or are they going to fall into family? And what is it going to take for them to do one or the other? It just continues to build in this world, and every time it builds, it just feels natural and how things in how things would progress. And I talking mean, about people like wondering about their family and fighting for family, the main antagonist, Robot Prince Robot the Fourth, right? Is that his name? Yeah. Yeah, Prince Robot the Fourth. Prince Robot the Fourth. He's only out up there doing this assignment, so he can go home to be with his his wife or his betrothed for the birth of his son or daughter. God, the stuff with 
Prince Robot's baby coming up too. Like the thing about reading volume one, everybody's fighting for Pamela. It sets up a lot of it sets up a lot of pieces on the board, but going back and reading it years later, that it made me want to continue on reading the story that I've already read and I've already read a few times. Like I haven't read this as much as some other books that are kind of like my my comfort reading, my go-tos that I continuously go back and reread all of. But reading volume one, I want to I want to continue the story through, and then I want to get to the point where I can read those issues that I haven't read yet because I've got like three or four of them I think now. Uh, this is one that the first fourteen issues I have in paperback, and actually Chris gave me issue one because I continued on buying the series, and Chris was like, hey, I'm just reading your series, so. Here, have issue one, so you have the complete thing. I've then gone, I went digital. I went back and bought a lot of those early issues digitally. And then when they had a sale on volumes one and two, I believe, I went back and rebought those. And then I have all the issues leading up to the present day. So I've bought them single issues, bought some single issues digitally, and then rebought everything volume-wise, so I could just have them in collected editions. Because I love this book. And I... It was... So I just want to say... Go ahead. You can get Volume 1 on Comixology for five ninety nine. If you're a Comixology Unlimited reader, like, hey, this is available. It's free. Just go read it. Uh, single issues are $1.99 each. And I think Volume 1's five or six issues? Volume 1, yeah. It was only five ninety nine. Okay. But yeah, like I don't know how many issues it was. It's worth that price. As someone who has read it and reread it in multiple formats, like five ninety nine, like yeah, I would I would pay that tomorrow if you're like, hey, you can never read Saga again unless you buy it for this price. I would totally do that. Uh, I would do that. Uh, and this is also my my wife, future wife, present wife. <laughs> she was uh, really rather annoyed that we were doing this. And uh, I didn't invite her to be on here. Um, she had to go uh, do a luncheon with friends. But this is one of the first things when she was like, oh, I've never really read comic books. What should I read? And I said, you should read Saga. And there were times in our relationship where she had my Comixology account and would all of a sudden I'd get an email that said, uh, thank you for your purchase of Saga number 36. And I'd be like, I didn't buy that. No, my wife did. She bought it. Because I hadn't bought it early enough, and she had time to read it and wanted to read it. And it is one of those things, like, it's one of those relationship things for us. And what's really bizarre is we barely talk about it, except for how much we love the series. Like, we don't talk about, like, the little minute little here or there, like, oh, could you believe that happened with Prince Robot? Or, oh, man, what about this? And, uh, character, you haven't met Paul, but... Gus is one of her favorite characters, mm-hmm. and had she's been. Is Gus a little thing like the naked mole rat? No. Oh. Uh, Gus is a little seal man that wears yellow overalls and carries a giant axe. Hmm. But she's been. Of course he is. She's been teasing. She's always since his appearance in the book. She's wanted to get a Gus tattoo. But yeah, it's it's a thing that it. Anybody can love this series, and I mm-hmm. think, at the heart of it and what i started with it is a book about 
family and what they'll do to stay together. Yeah, well, I see this. I see the first trade because I haven't read more. As you got Prince Robot fighting for a family that he will have. You have the Will fighting for a family he will never have since the stock dies. And then you have Marco and Alana fighting for the family that they do have. So it's a uh, it's it's these three, you know, different family, you know, different family situations all clashing together because they're on. It, it the will is like he he wants to save this one girl. He wants to save her with the stalk. Now he's just fighting to save this one girl. Marco and Alana are trying to save each other, and Hazel and Prince Robot is like I'm fighting to stay a part of the family that I am starting. Because if I don't do this, I won't be able to be part of their life anymore. So yeah, it's a it's a story not of, of a family. It seems to be a story of three families. Yeah. All in conflict with each other because of the weird intersections that Brian KB is able to make. And, and yeah. Fiona Staples art just gets better. Uh, the colors... Yeah, we, we haven't talked about it too much. The colors she picks, the covers, everything. She has won, I believe, except for one year, Best Artist on a Book for the uh, Eisner Awards. She always wins. Brian K. Vaughn may lose for uh, writer, wins for series, and she usually almost always wins for writing and covers. And that's because artists and covers, artists and covers, and that's because it's just great. Everything she does, the color tones, the what she does, what she does on covers is fantastic. But everything about this book is almost simple and just well, just well executed. Yeah, I I love all the character design, the creature design, like the monsters, the aliens. It's it's all crazy and out there. Um. I can only talk about episode or issue or volume number one, but everything that you see, like even from like the alien design to the horrors, which are like the dead little kids that are haunting the forest that they have to travel through the lion cat, the stock. There's, there's so much greatness here and everything you're seeing is just something that pops up because the next issue, the next volume, there's going to be something just as equally crazy and out there. Like Paul, do you can, do you continue reading this, is my question. Yeah, I, I'm going to uh, check out John's second volume uh, in Comicsology, and probably I might even read that tonight. Um, and we'll go from there, because once I, once I got past my hang-ups with, like, right, I can't find a grip, I can't find any kind of reality-based thing in this book, in that first issue, after I got past that, and got your, your Johnson Yours, Chris's constant echo. No, this is Brian K. Vaughn writing about family. Writing about family. Paul, it's about family. And like... Yeah, like the reality for this book is the family, which has been there since issue number one. Uh -huh. and, and that's why I kept... like I'm like, okay, I need to find that hook. And like I could, it's hard to get with everything thrown at you in issue one. You get it past issue two. get to the end of issue... If you don't like issue one, just man up, maybe you suck it in, suck it up, 
get through through the second issue. If you still don't like it, then you know what? Then you gave it just your shot. It's it might be just a little too far for you. If you can't find that family hook by the end of issue two, then then I understand. It. I I can understand people's qualms with it. But uh, I, I'm a convert. I believe in it. <laughs> uh, what I think is funny is that this was a look back, but you guys both picked it for the Weekend Geek. You yeah. both were super excited about it. You both uh, popped the first issue. I was like, eh, what is mm-hmm. it about? Mm-hmm. Doesn't sound that great. Kind of sounds stupid. I saw the pre... I. But you you weren't a Why the Last Man fan, though, Like to kind of... To flip this, like no, but you never continued on. Why the last man? Does does retrospective like does reading all this make you think like, hey, maybe I should go back and recheck out Why the Last Man? I've read the first volume, I think twice. Mm-hmm. I said I would read it again for I think a look back if Paul were going to pick it. He was supposed to pick mm-hmm. Why the Last Man last. I forgot month, about it, and then and I, I was supposed to do this one, and two months ago, October. Uh, yeah, but I, I I held with this one. I thought about changing it, but I thought, ah, let's get this guy on board. Mm. Um, so maybe I need to read volume one and two of Why the Last Man. Yeah, I, I think don't go back and reread volume one since you've read it the thing with- like twice already. I, I think you need to continue on in the story. Kind of like we made Paul do with, with this, because he had to read, like, two through five at this point. The thing with Why the Last Man, though, is it's a coming-of-age tale, and we're, we we as people are past that point. Like, right now, like, John, you, and I, we're of the age where it's, you know, you're either at the point where you're fighting to create a family, you're fighting to to start a family, you know, that, that all kind of, it's in our wheelhouse, you know, that, that age time. Like, we're, we've already came of age, right? Like, that uh, that part of our life is over. And Why the Last Man is all about that coming-of-age tale of growing up and, and figuring out who you are and what you want in life. And I think for John, like, reading it now, like, that hook is already cast him. I don't know if he'll, he'll latch onto it as much as we did, Chris, because we were reading it at that time where we could really relate to York. Now looking back at Eric, you're probably like, man, he's just a whiny bitch kid. See, I, I like, what's he doing? I don't feel that at all because this is Yorick looking for for that girl, but then playing his part in something bigger, and then just crazy family around him. Because not not to jump ahead in Why the Last Man, but like so much of what you see from like his sister Hero, like she's that character that kind of keeps like popping in and out through the series and then when you finally get that issue that's just devoted to like okay no like here's hero's journey like this is what she's doing in between those times that you've seen her mm-hmm. on york's trail like that that really brought her to be like oh like she's she's a strong character like she's mm-hmm. she has her own story it's not just her following the main characters and i think on the flip side, Saga does a great thing of exploring all those stories in the main book, and it doesn't have to give you that, like, hey, here's one issue of the will on his hunt because you haven't seen him in the last six. You you get enough of everybody 
to kind of keep you hooked. Yeah, it, it really is a well-balanced book of bringing these characters together within a, a single issue, not just, oh, this is what's going on with this character, it's the full issue about them. But where are they while this is happening to other characters? And just to say, I was, a, I mean, I was a Brian K. Fa- Brian K. Vaughn fan with The Hood, mm-hmm. with uh, the Doctor Strange book, Pride of Baghdad, like all, all those little things. I bought the first issue of Why the Last Man. And the second issue was sold out, and then I just never went back to try to catch up. And then when you guys finally bought the first, or when you bought the first issue, or volume, Chris, and then promoted it to Paul, and then to me, you know, it just didn't um, didn't sync with me. But I will give it another chance. You know, maybe it is reading... Mm-hmm one and two, but yeah, I, I think that this to me is Brian K. Vaughn's best work. I still enjoy Paper Girls. I mm-hmm. I need to catch up on that because I really liked where that was going and the, the same fact that he just finds the perfect artist to work with him for that series. Uh, Fiona Staples on this. Cliff Chang. Cliff Chang, thank you. Cliff Chang's awesome. I wanted to I wanted to say chow, but I knew that was wrong. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think those those are when he fits with the right person. And I mean, The Hood was something that, uh, it was one of our early books that we picked up that both Chris and I loved. And even again, that is a story of a guy who is trying to support his family, uh, find something that he thinks he can use to support his family, his family's then killed, and then he just uses that to mask the pain that he has and become an evildoer. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of a really rise of a, a villain. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, I think, Brian K. Vaughn, I, I'll check out just about everything he does. Uh, I tried that Canadian Apocalypse mo- or, uh, movie. Canadian Apocalypse book. Um, I don't think we reviewed it for the trading policy. No, we did it for a Weekend Geek. Well, now Weekend Geek. The list or the look back? Look back. Look back, yeah. Did we do it for look back? Yeah. Uh, but that wasn't very good. But but this uh, this book is always going to be... It's going to be one of the, the things that I love uh, the most. I think out of comic books, I think it's one of my favorite series of all times. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I love this book. I'm glad you kind of finally came around to it, Paul. Yeah, I think I'm going to like this book in spite of. You know, it's those things that I had an issue with with the first issue are still going to be there, but there's a, now there's enough of a grip, a handhold, that I can pull myself along in this thing and really enjoy what it is and and kind of forget what it isn't, you know? Yeah. I, I, I somewhat can understand... Just by being friends with you and knowing your personality. Yeah. Um, to me, the fact that this is an alien, magic, technology, everything is there, means that, okay, yeah, dragons, yeah, that's fine. Oh, that? Yeah. Yep, that's fine. Uh, dragons' penises. Yeah, big-time dragon penises. Gotta got got collect that semen from the dragon penis. Jeez. <laughs> uh but then, I mean, it's the the, the fact that, like, uh, Alana is uh, starring in a soap opera. Hmm, yeah, okay, that happens. 
Because everybody loves King the Virgin. It all works and works out in how everything is going. It's just a, it's just a really, it's just a fantastic story. And if you have a fantastic story you'd like us to check out and maybe review for a trading policy, uh, find us over on the Facebook. Find us over on our website. Comment on our uh, show notes. Let us know. We'd like to hear from you. And also something we were going to throw out there. Hey, you have a dramatic reading? Oh. You have a panel that you want us to read? Huh? Uh, please let us know who you'd want to read it and what panel. Man, if we had a Patreon, we would make that a backer. Right? A backer thing. But we do this out of the goodness of our heart. We're spending hard-earned money on comic books and, and beer. beer every week. Uh, but please find us, rate and review us wherever you listen to us, and uh, just let us know you're listening. Yay.